Let's pray. Gracious God, we have just uh, sung a song that uh, invite, invites you, Lord, to open up our eyes to see you as you really are. And Lord, so that at the end of that process, uh, we will be left in wonder. Because God, when we see you as you are, there is no other human response uh, than wonder and awe. Father, we, uh, those of us who have chosen faith in Jesus, those of us you have called to yourself, we are so blessed to be able to call you Father. So blessed to be able to be in your presence. So blessed to be able to see you as you are. So blessed to know the wonder of being in a relationship with you. So Lord, meet us now, we pray. Continue to meet with us. Um, let this be a deeply spiritual time, not a time just of listening, not a time of education and learning, not a time, Lord, of, of, of apathy, but Lord, a time when our spirits are touched deeply by the Spirit of God, when your truth flows from Scripture into our minds and through our, our minds into our hearts so that we are changed. So, Lord, bless us now, we pray. Thank you for this time. Thank you for one another. Thank you for the opportunity in this unique and distinct way to worship you, but to be in your presence, to honor you, and to hear your voice. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while on the holidays, I heard that uh, we couldn't have live music, nor could we sing, I think, oh my goodness, what must that be like? <laughs> it's not ideal, but you know, I've, I've sensed God with us this morning, and the truth that uh, these words speak, they've been spoken to us, sung to us, and, and I hope they've been a huge blessing to you. Um, I just want to make one quick announcement as we move into our fall. Here we are in September, we're going to be having a life group start up in a few weeks, and I'd really like to focus our church's attention on life groups. I'm going to speak more to this next Sunday, but how are we going to do church over this next season? Uh, as I'm going to say next week, COVID-19 is not going away. Here we are. And uh, what we've determined is our primary focus is going to be the people of God gathering in whatever way they choose in life groups and continuing to be the church. So if uh, you would like to become part of one, if you haven't before, please think seriously about doing that. If you are part of a life group historically, please reconnect with your leader. Let them know you're coming. We need to know who's coming and, and who is in which group and so forth. We have to order materials and we're going to have a campaign. Uh, Churchwide, I'll speak starting on the 20th of the month of September and then the life groups will study the, the first study following that. We're inviting you to meet up one week prior to that, after the 13th, the Sunday, and uh, you can you know, form your group covenant and just reconvene and get reacquainted and so forth. So we're looking for life groups to begin after Sunday the 13th, that week following, and then for the church-wide campaign to begin the week after that. So uh, please give that serious consideration, especially if you haven't been in a life group before. This is the uh, season, I think, that it's really critical that um, as many of us as possible engage that and jump right in. Well, in preparing for my, uh, my sermon today, um, I realized something, and that is this. If you really love someone, it's hard to be away from them. 
Can you relate to that? If you really love somebody, it's hard to be away from them. This has a lot of expressions. You know, when I fell in love with uh, Heather, my wife, uh, some of you have heard this story a little bit before, but um, I, I robbed the cradle. I'm seven years older than Heather, and uh, she had most of her university education to finish, which of course was good for her and what I wanted, but I was ready to get married. Like, I knew what I knew, and I wanted to marry that young woman, right? So for three years, I had to work in Toronto. Heather was at Western. <clears throat> I had to travel back and forth, weekend after weekend after weekend. Why? Because it's hard to be apart from people you love. And uh, it was worth it. I wanted to be with her. And for a little snippets of time, whether she came to Toronto where she grew up or whether I went to Western, precious times of growing relationships. It's not just in romantic relationships. Um, I remember my father saying when we had all grown up and, and gotten our own families even and, and so forth and we would all gather together Christmas or Easter or otherwise, he'd say, oh, it's great to have everybody together. Well, I have become my father. I really have. Because as my kids grow up and, and go away and so forth, it's just, it, there's joy in being together, isn't there? Don't you know that? Um, <laughs> maybe you have to wait till they go away before you really realize that. But <laughs> But it'll happen, and it's, it's a reality. I even, I even think in loss. When we grieve someone we love, it's hard to not be with the one you love, isn't it? It's tough. It's tough. Well, I think this dynamic that I'm describing to you um, is something that allows us to step into another one of the... Um, uh, one of those dynamics that we've, we have called singular priorities. This is the last in the series that I began in July and, and so forth. But I want to get this one to you because I think this one is really important. All, all of them obviously are. And I, and I really hope that you as a congregation, whether you're gathered here, whether you're at home in, um, in, your, uh, in your living rooms or whatever it might be, that you are taking this a biblical coaching about making priorities for life and you're implementing them in your life, not just hearing about it. See, there's a huge difference between hearing something and thinking, oh, what a nice idea. Oh, I love that idea. And actually allowing it to transform your life. And we've looked at singular priorities over, the, over these weeks and I want to give you just one more. It comes to us from Psalm 27 and, and David describes something of the dynamic that I'm describing to you about wanting to be with people we love. Um... And I'm going to read Psalm 27. We're going to begin at verse 1 and wrap it up at verse 6. So listen to this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Well, there it is, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. The one thing that David identifies here, the one thing that he longs for, the one thing that is in, in his heart of hearts above all else is to be with God. 
It wasn't to be with his spouse as much as he might have loved her. It wasn't to be with his children as much as he might have loved them. It wasn't to be with friends. It wasn't to, to, to work. It wasn't to engage in various activities. It wasn't to have things. The one thing that David wanted was to be in the presence of God, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to know the reality of God in his life. It goes on to say to gaze on his beauty. This word beauty, its connotations of splendor. Splendor. It has, has the idea of, of, of delight. It has the idea of grace. At the core of this idea is that when David would look at God, he would end up just amazed at who God is in wonder. And then it says, what I want as well is to seek him. And here the idea is that he's, he's eager to know more about God. He wants to learn about God. He wants to study God. He wants to discover deeper and in deeper and in deeper ways how beautiful and amazing this God of ours is. See, David loved to be with the Lord. It was his heart's desire. question for us to con- contemplate this morning is, is that also our heart's desire? You know, many people I would suggest uh, that's just not there. Of course, there are tons of people in our society who really know nothing about God. You know, they, they just haven't given it a lot of thought. They don't know scripture. They haven't considered the possibility. And if that's you, whether you're here this morning or listening at home, tune in because this morning it's possible for you to hear and learn and discover about this God who is beautiful and splendorous and majestic. Bible tells us about who the Lord is. I want to suggest, too, there are a lot of people, often even believing people, when they think about God and, and they think about the Lord uh, and, and, and gazing upon his presence and so forth, it's not something that they're particularly attracted to. You know that? And I want you to really think and contemplate and measure yourself against this dynamic this morning. As a matter of fact, when they think about God and, and they think about gazing upon him, the reaction, rather than being drawn toward and wanting to be in the presence of God, is to stay away. Ever felt that way? Ever experienced that? The, the reaction is maybe to avoid God rather than to engage God. And as a result, their lives are filled with other priorities. This doesn't become a priority of, of being with God. It's not even something that they are excited about or, or, or they're enthused about or which they choose. And that is because... A lot of people believe in a God of judgment. A lot of people. A lot of people believe in a God of condemnation, with a, a God with a critical spirit, who if they were to look at God, they would see in his eyes disappointment because they haven't measured up to his standards. They would see um, annoyance maybe. They might even see anger in their minds because of who they believe God to be. And if you understand God in that way, even though you might understand God as a loving father and Jesus as the savior, the one who died on the cross that our sin might be forgiven, even though you might know God in your head to be God the Holy Spirit who dwells in our lives, literally, even though all these beliefs might be put in place, if you view God that way and you expect that is what you might see when you gaze upon God, you're going to want to stay away from that God. As did, can I suggest this, Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned? See, think about the remarkable relationship those two people had with God. They walked with God in the garden. They had an intimacy and a fellowship with God that was close and good and loving. 
But then they sinned, and after they sinned, and God came to the garden, what did they do? They chose to hide from God, to run away, so that they wouldn't have to see the Lord. And as a result, I want to suggest this morning there might be two camps of people. There are people in the David camp who understand God as a God of wonder, who understand God as a God of beauty, who are amazed with the reality of God, and there's the Adam and Eve camp. And those people, rather than being drawn toward God as David was, they're going to want to turn away. They're going to want to hide. They're going to want to avoid God. And I want to tell you, it's really important to grapple with these things because where we're at in many ways defines our relationship with God. It'll certainly define our experience with God. And it will reveal to us what we really believe about God. Which camp are you in? Can you think about it? Let me say this. And I don't say this with judgment at all. <laughs> I, I, I say it with a ton of grace. But if you're in the Adam and Eve camp, there's something faulty about your belief. Something that's off. Something that's not true. And it's likely rooted in what's called legalistic Christianity, which in my mind is not Christianity at all. It's a faith that is mostly focused on the self. It's a faith that is focused by our morality, whether we meet God's morality or whether we fail to do so. It's all about appeasing an angry God who, who is ready to judge us. Other religions do that. That's not for us to do. It's all about a God who is ready to condemn. And I want to tell you, my friends, that Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. It just isn't. Because when people of faith see God aright, when they, when they see God and understand God as Scripture reveals them to be, they see a God who is beautiful and splendorous and wonderful. And they long to be in his presence. It is their deepest desire. It is in their heart. It's not just in this psalm. You know, the psalmists write about it often. Psalm 84. Let me read this to you. I just think it's so cool that this is, this is common in the Psalms. Psalm 84, verses 10 and 11 say this. Better one day in the courts, in your courts, than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. It's almost like and there's no losing by being in the presence of God. It's all blessing. How about this one? Psalm 42. Many of you will know this psalm, the first couple of verses. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? How is it I can get into his presence? Show me the way that I might be with this incredible God. Hmm. Do you hear it? The longing, the desire? It's all based in the knowledge of who God really is. You know, I've never thought about um, the fruit of the Spirit in this way before, but you might know Galatians 5.22 describe a whole list of characteristics of people who are filled with the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. And, and, and what the Bible teaches in that instance is when we are filled with the Spirit of God, you know, we give that, the, 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 the Holy Spirit that welcome and that freedom to move within us. It's almost like the reality of His presence bubbles out from us into the world. So when the Holy Spirit is there, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Because God is love and His presence is so significant in our lives that it just 
oozes from us as we love other people. And the same with all the rest of the characteristics. Think about this. As we move through that list, think about this. Those characteristics represent the reality of the God who is filling us. And, and what they say, first of all, is that God is love. That God cares deeply. I'm going to personalize it to you. God cares deeply for you. Do you know that? And do you believe it? He knows you and he loves you. He is for you, not against you. He acts for your well-being all the time. He is deeply concerned for you and your need and in your hurt and he is ready to heal. God loves you more than any of us can know, but we can know the reality. We can know the truth. It says God is, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. God is joy. God is joy-filled you know, I, I love the um, message translation or paraphrase of, of that little phrase because it says that God, the fruit of the Spirit is exuberant about life. God is exuberant about life. Do you think of God in that way? Or kind of a dour, serious, angry old guy? He is joy-filled. I've taught you before, the Hebrew for the word joy literally means to stand up and spin around. I kind of mean God dances. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And that there's this joy in his being that he can't contain. Is that how you think of God? He is joyful in his relationship with you. Zephaniah 3, he delights in you. He sings over you with joy. As a father, mother holds an infant in their arms and sings over them with delight and joy in their hearts because of the gift that has been given. That's God. Text goes on and talks about the, the fruit of the spirit of peace, that God is a God of peace. He is not a God of strife or antagonism. God is not at war with you. <laughs> the Bible says so clearly that God has made peace with you through the death of Christ on the cross, if indeed you have come to faith in him. He has made peace with you. There's no war, there's no antagonism. I want to tell you, my friends, our judgment has been placed on Jesus on the cross so that God does not experience wrath when he gazes upon us. What does he experience? Well, to begin with, love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace when he looks at you. Text goes on, describes God as being a patient God. Literally in Greek, it means long-suffering, right? God has long-suffering for you. Um... But you know what it means? It means that he waits. God waits and he works in us knowing what we will become. He is patient with us, even in our failures, even in our sins. He waits. That God, the Bible says, is good. Is there any badness in God? Even an ounce of badness? A gram, I guess I should say now. Anything that would cause God to be the one who hurts you ever? No. Not an ounce of badness in God. It's all goodness toward you. It says God is faithful. He, he, he is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his people. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There is nothing that, that, that God will go back on his word about. He will always be with you to help you, to enable you, to strengthen you, to see you through. He is a faithful God. The fruit of the spirit of gentleness. I think God's a gentle God. 
You know, God is never harsh toward you. He is never demanding in the way that some people might think he is, and God is a God of self-control. You know, a lot of people, I think, who buy into that legalistic Christianity and think of God as a, as a judgmental, condemning God have this vision of God of just, you know, lashing out in wrath and in anger toward people who, whom he um, might want to judge. I want to tell you, God is in control of himself, and he would never do that. Never. See, David has come to know God, maybe not entirely in that way, but David has come to know this God. He has come to see him. He has come to, to gaze upon him, and what he sees is a remarkable God of beauty, a God of splendor, a God of wonder. Now, why is this? Let me go back to Psalm 27. I want to read verses 2 and 3 and then 5. When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, he's a general, of course, he's a warrior, my heart will not fear, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident, David says. And then verse 5, For in the day of trouble, he, the Lord, will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. How on earth does David know that to be true? I want to tell you, he knows that it's true because he's experienced it. This is a man who has lived in relationship with God. This is a man who has experienced the Lord and he has found him through this living dynamic relationship to come to a point of seeing God as he truly is. And that God is an amazing God to King David. He's awed by him. What this says, another characteristic of God, is that God is a powerful God who comes to the aid of his people and God will intervene in their lives in order to give them success, to enable them through. What's your struggle today? What's your enemy? You know, God is willing to exercise his power in your life whether your enemy might be a relational enemy, you might be having a struggle in your relationship and it's tearing your heart apart. It might be a physical problem you have in your life. God is able. It might be a problem at work. It might be a spiritual problem. It might be an emotional problem where, where your emotions are playing havoc with your life. God is able, my friends, because this God is loving and because this God is faithful. He can and he will intervene. And you too can know the reality of who God is in your experience. Do you know this God? To the point of being drawn to him? You know, on, on holidays up at our, our, uh, our family cottage, there's a light outside the sliding door that goes onto the deck. You can kind of envision that. And it's on at night. When else would it be on, right? And you know what happens every single night in the summer? That light's on and we might be inside doing whatever we're doing. Flies and moths are drawn to the light. They just, dozens of them, they're just drawn to the light. It's like they can't stay away from it for some reason. I'm not a moth. I don't know why. But they do that. I want to tell you, it's exactly the same thing. When we see the light, when we, when we are exposed in our minds and our hearts to the reality of God, we're drawn to God like a moth to a light. We can't stay away. We long to be in that presence because of the incredible goodness we find there. Here's another way of thinking of it. I thought about this series that, that uh, we're just finishing up today and, and I thought, well, what about the people that we have studied uh, who, who have encountered Jesus in pretty profound ways? How would they have viewed Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God literally in human form who walked 
in, in Palestine 2,000 years ago, how would they have thought about, viewed Jesus, gazed upon Jesus after their encounter with him? Think about the blind man who was healed. The blind man whose eyes were opened so that he might see physically and spiritually who, who Jesus actually was. I want to tell you, that man would have been so incredibly um, blown away by the reality of this, this one named Jesus who, who could exercise the power of God so that he could see. He would have been amazed with Jesus. What about Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his words and Jesus says, you know, this is, she has chosen the one good thing. She, she was affirmed. She would have thought after the fact, man, what a fascinating teacher. The wisdom that he spoke, I've never heard anything like that before. And she would have been left in awe. What about the woman at the well, you know, whose life was so messed up and, 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 and her relationships were a disaster and, and, and she came to that place where she met Jesus? What would she have thought? What would she have seen? How would she have perceived him? Now she would have thought, there is a man who has satisfied the deepest needs of my soul so that I don't have to go running around after men and relationships in order to feel full and satisfied and complete. She would have thought about, there is the man who's given me my life back. What about others? What about Zacchaeus, that greedy self-oriented traitor to his people and Jesus said come down from that tree I want to have a meal with you I want to enter into your relationship I want to become your friend what would he have thought about Jesus after the fact he would have thought a couple of things number one I think he would have thought man there's a there's a man of grace and a man of love not a moment of condemnation did he experience from the person of Jesus Christ because that's not part of God What about Lazarus, the man who had died and Jesus came along days later and raised him from the dead? <laughs> what would Lazarus have thought of Jesus? Isn't that like, oh my goodness. He, is the, he has power over death. He raised me to new life after I had been dead for days. And you see, on and on and on it goes. It is as David, it is as these people, it is as we encounter and experience the reality of God that we are left in awe and our deepest desire. The one thing that we long for in life is to be in his presence. And the question, of course, is, I suppose, what do we here know of God? What do we believe about God deeply? Not just, don't give me the right answers to the question, but in your heart of hearts, what do you believe about God? When you look at him, what do you expect to see? A God who is deeply loving toward you, a God who is grace-filled, a God who is beautiful, a God who is splendorous, a God who is amazing, a God who is love. I'm telling you, if you see God in that way, you're going to be drawn into his presence time and time again. You're going to long to be with that God or on the other hand has somehow allow about God seeped in and rooted itself in, in your mind and in your heart so that when you think about God you tend to shy away from him and choose other priorities for your life. Other things become way more important because you haven't encountered him in the way that he can be encountered. Final point I want to make to you this morning is this. When we like David see God as this beautiful being it produces something in us. Let me read to you again verse 6. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. 
At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. <laughs> There's a little irony today <laughs> in me preaching this because we can't sing. But you know the one thing that will happen more than, you know, the, not, not more than anything else, but one of the profound things that will happen in our lives when we see God as God is, when we come to see him as beautiful, when we gaze upon him as a splendorous being, when we, when we capture the truth, the biblical truth of who God is in our minds and in our hearts, we will worship him. And that just doesn't mean being church on a Sunday or being on a couch at home. This means that we will actually worship God from the core of our being because of what we have come to believe, think, and feel about him. You know? What does it say? It talks about sacrificing with shouts of joy. We sacrifice our lives as acts of worship, don't we? And we do it with joy, not obligation, not because we have to. We will sing and make music where in our hearts to the Lord with gladness. You see, there will be this enthusiasm that we have for the Lord and we will want to be in his presence, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's in our home when we open scripture and we hear his word and the spirit speaks to us and we pray to our God, we walk in the garden as Adam and Eve once did. We will long to be with God. I want to tell you this morning, my friends, this knowledge and this experience of God is available to you. It really is. You can know God in this way. You can experience him. You can have a relationship with him in this way. You can have a deep and intimate fellowship with him because of who he is. Isn't that an amazing thing? That we can so see God that we are left utterly amazed. <laughs> So take note of David. What did he do? He gazed on the Lord. And it says later on in, in, in that same temp, uh, verse that he sought him in his temple. There's a real intention there. There's a real focus there on intentionally seeking after a knowledge of God. And I say to every single one of us, and to myself as well, because this well is bottomless. We have to seek after a knowledge of the Lord. We have to pursue that knowledge. We have to live in relationship with God. We have to hear of him through his word. We have to experience him in our lives. And when we do, we will be like David. We will long to be in the house of God. So I'm going to pray for you now. I'm going to pray that not only will you have that desire in your heart, <laughs> but that you will discover the reality that I'm speaking of so that you will be changed. Let's pray. Lord, one of the most remarkable things that a human being can experience is a relationship with you through Christ. The forgiveness of sin, um, the blessing of faith, our eyes being open to see and to believe what we haven't seen and believed before. Lord, then the opportunity to learn more and more of you, to grow in our knowledge of you, to seek after you, as David described, so that we end up gazing upon you and longing for that one thing in life, simply to be in your presence. Father, I pray for the people who are here today. I pray for the people who are at home. 
watching online. I pray, Father God, that you will give them the desire to see you anew. I pray that you will reveal to them where their thoughts might be faulty regarding you. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes as you once opened the eyes of that blind man to see you as you are, to experience you in deeper and more profound ways day by day by day so that they are left where David found himself as he wrote Psalm 27. Asking one thing, seeking only one thing, that he may dwell in the house of the Lord. Lord, make us seekers after you. Seekers of the truth about who you are. Because in that place, Lord, we are the ones who end up last. We are the ones whose lives are transformed. We are the ones whose priorities are changed entirely because we have come to know who you really are. So God, bless these people. Lead them into a deeper knowledge of you. Open their eyes to see you according to the truth of Scripture, not according to their history, their experience, or what they might have heard from others. Transform their minds that their hearts might be moved with a longing to be in your presence. Yes, our God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.